Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You want to I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know what you've done Good evening everybody This is Annie Marges For National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse And this is the SCAN radio show Stop Child Abuse Now Radio show number 3187 And I'm going to begin by reading the mission statement of the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. We have a single purpose at NASCA, to address issues related to child abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, CSA. Presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. Two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and discovery. And this is Scan Radio Show number 3187. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, we do a call-in discussion with a survivor professional using an open mic forum. We feature a survivor professional show host who fills topics brought to the episode by you, the listener. Tonight, the special co-host is Pastor Deborah Schley, who grew up all over the world in a military family where her mother was mentally ill. She is now a survivor professional living in Pedascola, Florida. She's trained in ministry, mental health, working with substance abuse, and is a trauma-informed social worker. All in one, she volunteers with many community organizations. Pastor Deborah says she can, quote, minister by text, phone, Skype, in person, and however the Lord directs her 24-7, unquote. She teaches that humans have three parts, being of spirit, soul, and the physical body and believes that all three are important and that each area 
needs care. We look forward to Pastor Deborah being an active member of the Nazca family for a long time. And with that, I will turn it over to you, Pastor Deborah. Hello, everybody. Pastor Deborah here. And Philip, are you still on the line? I'm still here, Deborah. All right. I want to welcome everybody. Uh, I don't know about you guys, your weather, but we've had a lot of storms today. They're gone for now. And uh, we're on the Gulf Coast down here by New Orleans and Mobile, so it gets kind of summery real quick. But uh, the topic I wanted to sort of talk about, which is I kind of think is important, is the event of child abuse, as we know, uh, with adults has already happened. Um, and there's a lot of uh, issues with that. And what I think is important for adults is to always keep healing there in the forefront, uh, that asking questions about what it is, how do I get there, uh, if I'm on the right track, what will healing look like, uh, if I do certain things, what does it mean to be healed from the memories, the triggers, the event of childhood sexual abuse. So um, I'm open to any kind of questions you have. We can talk on mental health if you want to. We can talk on current events. We can talk deep stuff if you want to. I'll leave that up to the callers or Annie or to ask questions. So glad Thank to be you, here. Pastor Debit. Let me get the phone number out for callers. If you're okay. interested in talking to Pastor Deborah, asking questions, making comments, or just talking about your story, please call in 646-595-2118. Again, that's 646-595-2118. And we have Philip on the line already, Pastor Deborah. Philip, do you have any questions or comments so far? Well, I guess we talk about mental health. That's what here with everybody. Okay. What do you want to know about mental health and child abuse or healing? Or you have a specific question? Um, what What is vital to mental health, to good mental health? What is vital or what? Yes, what is vital to having good mental health? Vital to mental health? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll say in normal children, okay, when they're developing, uh, there's a brain in there. Um, actually, a wonderful book uh, to read to understand it. It's called The Three-Pound Universe, and it has to grow, and it develops all its neurons and the electrical system, and, you know, everything is getting connected. When that gets interrupted, or we'll call it uh, something happens due to child abuse, and once you study child abuse biologically and you understand uh, neuroelectrical connections and the storage of memories and what happens when the physical body is being, we'll say, uh, receiving pain, but in sexual abuse it receives pain and pleasure, so there's hormones going off that shouldn't be going off. 
there are nerve endings that are being stimulated that shouldn't be stimulated. So things in a normal growth for the brain that will produce the thoughts and the concepts, the images, the memories, what we would call mental health, a set of beliefs uh, gets dis, uh, disturbed. Uh, you would call it uh, perverted. Uh, has releases hormones, uh, sugar, adrenaline before its time, and we'll say certain uh, sexual hormones that are supposed to be released uh, at the proper time after. Um, get turned on early. So things are out of balance. They are not in their normal flow. Uh, And what happens in our brain in mental health is we we associate, as you know, if you smell something that, that goes up your nose into your brain, we make a connection with with our five senses to events. Uh, and sometimes, you know, as an adult, you might have you might smell something that you had a if you have a trauma event as a child, you get connected in your brain through the memory. It's a uh, if you ever watched how it works, it's neural electrical. It's electric electricity going through all the neurons and the thing. And there's blood up there that's carrying. So it gets disturbed. So the normal, what we would call mental health of a child, which includes uh, nurturing from a parent, uh, feeling safe and secure, uh, feeling cuddled and loved, uh, and normal growth patterns through normal events are disturbed. And if there's any kind of, we'll say, head trauma or anything, you have uh, physically damaged the brain. So things that should not have happened biologically happened. Also at the same time, if words are said to the child or if there's smells of perfume or cologne or lights or music, it's all coming through the senses and it's stored in memory. Now, we don't have all the memories, as you know, most of us can't remember ourselves at one or two or three in all the events of our life. Uh, they're sort of short term, and that's when you study mental health, you study long-term memory, and you study short-term memory. And so what happens is our brain is a wonderful biological uh, organ that has lots of different chemicals in it, electricity, Uh, it's connected to the five senses, there's nerves in it, there's water, there's blood. So health, a lot of counselors don't really study that. Uh, They, they, you know, child development is real important to study, okay? Now that gets disrupted, okay? And then the child is physically growing, the brain is still growing, but you start seeing now what happens at home, uh, what the culture is will affect the brain. If some event happens, children want to um, 
please the adults and, and be obedient. And if they're told to be silent, don't tell, this is our secret, they will do that. But there's something in each of us that knows this is not right, okay? I know my mommy can touch me and wipe my fanny and give me a bath, most, and she doesn't do things to me, or my father doesn't do that. And sex abuse to most children is a foreign thing, so it brings confusion and from those adults or even a brother or sister. The child's original thing is, I'm to be loved. I'm in a family. They're to protect me and uh, not abuse. You know, that, that children don't have the term abuse. But there's something in them, and that gets destroyed uh, pastorally or spiritually. We're, we're, we're taught that love is the anchor of the soul. The soul's the mental health part. And if, it, and if that soul with all of its feelings and memories, does not get anchored in true love that does not hurt, then it's like just blowing in the wind. So mental health then, for we'll say a normal adult, should be somebody who did not have child abuse, or if they did, they got healed, and they can weather the storms of life. You know, they're up and they're down. There's good days and bad days. They can deal with death. They can deal with the storms. Uh, they haven't had any brain uh, deficiencies in education and learning and um, that kind of thing. So mental health is can you handle yourself and uh, can you oh, – uh, the DSM would say – if you can hold down a job, if you can make good decisions in family, uh, sort of like be a good citizen, not break the law, not cause any problems, then you have good mental health. So there's a lot of different definitions of what is mental health. It, mental, what it means is the brain, the thoughts, uh, the biology part of the brain, you know, because remember, psychiatrists are medical doctors first. They don't do surgery. A neuropsychologist is that. A psychiatrist understands all of the met the biological parts of the brain, but he's trying to figure out why you're having the thoughts, the the dreams, the inner feelings, uh, what motivates you, uh, why, why do you think that, why do you feel that, um, why aren't you, everybody gets mad, okay, we all get angry, um, everybody has sad days, bad days, everybody has good days, but why are you having these thoughts, why are you depressed, there's days I'm depressed, okay, but I don't live in it. I don't stay in it. I don't try to commit suicide because I've had a bad day. Okay. So all of the swing in our mental health, happy days, sad days, there's days you're depressed, but we don't stay in it. 
and in psychiatry they go, oh, you're hearing voices? Oh, they would think I was mentally ill. If I told them God talks to me audibly and he talks to me and I can hear him, they would think I'm mentally ill because I'm hearing voices inside my head. Now, the voice that's supposed to be there is your own thoughts. And you're supposed to have thoughts, and you're supposed to be thinking about things and solving problems and solving life issues and being a loving family member and taking care of your family and working. So some of these basic things you're not able to do because of child abuse, then you have mental health issues. They don't call it that nowadays. It's They just have some mental issues because there's a big stigma that they don't want to be called crazy because that means you got to go to the state mental institution and, you know, you are literally off your rocker, so to speak. So there is, to a mental health counselor, they are trained in helping you Explore your feelings, uh, you know, help you talk about what you haven't been able to talk about to anybody. Try to figure out why it happened, but, you know, you're only one part of the problem. You maybe haven't talked to the person who abused you. Why did they do what they did? Well, they're not in the room with you. All you're exploring is your own feelings. And then sometimes in mental health, they try to help you uh, do guided imagery to replay that, thinking we'll get to the truth if we can replay the event. Or if that doesn't work, we can do hypnotize you, and we'll get down to that deep subconscious that you got in there, and we will relive the event so you'll have the memories, and we'll try to pull all of these different inner children and parts together uh so you're not disassociated anymore. But one thing they don't talk about in mental health is that you leave your body to survive, and they know that you disassociate, but they don't really know that you're forming multiple personalities and that uh, some PhDs do. So what is good mental health just to the average person? You can live your day and you don't kick people and abuse people. You don't steal, rob break the law, you don't drink and drive, you vote, you know, you're a good neighbor, go to church, go to work, don't steal the money, That's go to ball games or sports. That's what they would call good mental health. Does that answer your question, Mr. Phillips? Yes, it does, Mrs. Deborah. Thank you. Uh, sure. And what happened was, it will use back in the, oh, I don't know, I started in the 80s. Homosexuality and lesbianism used to be in the DSM as a psychological disorder because it was considered abnormal to have sex in the same sex. Okay? That wasn't normal. Normal was male and female. But the criteria, because the world, you have to study that the DSM, Diagnostic Statistical Manual, comes out of the World Health Organization, which you have to study, the American Psychiatric Association, all those. And it's, it's a form of how do you talk to insurance companies and how do you define 
how do you talk to each other? And in the medical community, it's all done by numbers. Depression has a number, 501-something. Uh, depression with short-term something. Everything has a number. And all everybody knows what that, when you study it, we know what the number is when we're diagnosing you and you have an axis one, two, three, four, and you can have different. And, and when we send it off to the insurance company, to get paid, there's a number there. And that tells the insurance company you had depression, whether you've had it six months or a year, and depression with anything else, that's uh, access to. And you can have uh, two or three things, you know, substance abuse plus depression. And so uh, the DSM, what happened was homosexuality was in there, and according to their criteria, uh, the homosexual community, I guess maybe in the, I don't know, 80s somewhere, they rose up and said, according to your criteria, we're holding down jobs. We're staying with the same sex, same person for 20, 30 years. Uh, We are law-abiding as citizens. We don't do drugs, you know. How can, according to your criteria, we are not mentally ill? So they took it out of the DSM. So you didn't diagnose that anymore. That was no longer a mental illness. So according to the American psychiatric, whatever, it is changing on what is considered a mental health issue. And a lot of people just think mental health is to be happy, and get through the day. But it is a little harder for those who have had sexual abuse because they've got some things that they didn't ask for, you know. And their their brain was probably, we'll say, had some deficiencies, maybe deformities, um, and things got turned on before they were ready, explosion of adrenaline or cortisol, a sugar, uh, stuff like that, the five senses working, and it affected the brain's development, but yet the thoughts, the understanding of what's going on was not there. So it gets buried away, and then it, it, without uh, anybody knowing, your subconscious just kind of, it's there, and it, it's trying to, at times, regulate, you know, have a well-balanced brain. And so healing is, and from the mental health side, healing is to help you re- sort of release a lot of those uh, feelings, Sort of get to a balance through it, try to understand what's happened, and then try to come up with some different ways of thinking. And um, in your in your the mental health parts your soul, and um, to have a different way of thinking about things, and therefore you would respond differently. And you wouldn't have the responses you've had um, previously if you hadn't been healed. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions, Philip? I have a feeling I'm on the verge of another question, but I don't know what it is yet. Do what now? I have a feeling I'm on the verge of another question, but I don't know what it is yet. Okay. Okay. 
Well, one of the things I was talking to Annie about is, you know, the event has already happened if you're an adult. You're not you're not in you're not a child. And in healing, uh, hopefully when you go to a therapist, you will find out, well, what happened to my biological brain and my system? Okay? What, you know, and hopefully that therapist has taken classes and studied it and can explain it to you, all the nerves, all the hormones that get turned on, and can explain to you the many different thoughts you have that you shouldn't have and the many different uh, levels of consciousness that you have. And um, one of the great movies that really helps is you look at Three Faces of Eve. She had a traumatic event when she was a small child, and she formed multiple personalities. Then Sybil, who had a lot of, you know, kind of bad stuff, and how she acted. And... um, that happens with a lot of people. Healing, uh, according to mental health, is maybe we integrate all these different parts of you and uh, and all these fragmented memories. We recapture them, and we have everybody. If there's a call it, usually there's multiple personalities in there. Everybody accepts what happens, and everybody knows what happens. And so they call it getting uh, integral, you know, and we now have every part of you that sort of has relived the events. And in mental health, they think that's getting healed. And sometimes people will be hypnotized and they will relive the event trying to expose this subconscious stuff that they can't remember. And they think that, and a lot of therapists believe if you remember and sit in that office and you just tell all the gritty details of what happened, okay, you'll be healed. That's what they believe because you've released the anger or the depression and you've told your secret. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what, the, and people don't realize, too, that uh, people want to blame somebody. And back in the 70s, therapists were gotten in a lot of trouble because they were helping clients to talk about it. And they said, well, probably, and somebody would say, my dad did it or my mom allowed it. And the therapist encouraged the patient to sue, take their parents to court. And a lot of their parents rose up, got lawyers, and they formed the false memory syndrome, I think. And they said, our child is lying. We never did this. And they've always been this way. And so they fought back. And uh, the therapists don't kind of go that way anymore, you know. And um, they just try to help you deal with your feelings and your thoughts and memories about the event. I don't know if they consider that healing or not, or if it's therapeutic. Therapeutic means it produces healing. and uh, But healing now it needs to be on everybody's mind. Uh, the events have happened. You're an adult now. And some people, you know, they just kind of 
stuff it away, close the door, and that's the end of it. We're not going to talk about it. I'm going on with life. Okay, that happens. Other people can't do that, and they want to tell everybody about it. And some of them, people write books, so, you know, they make movies out of it. And so trying to help a lot of different avenues to healing. So, uh, Annie, have you got any questions for me? Um, I have a comment. My, my okay. comment is that, is that um, I was in a self-help peer-to-peer group for many yes. years. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And listening to other people normalized being a victim. I wasn't the only one anymore. And I kept hearing my same story coming out of other people's mouths. And I found that really, really healing. It, it, it took years, but now today I have to say I'm pretty healed. That's not the only thing I did, but I think that's the most important one. Okay. Well, it is for somebody who hasn't talked and, you know, um, to tell their story is important. Peer-to-peer is really good because those people have had it happen to them and they understand uh, that. A lot of therapists never had sexual abuse, but a lot of them have, and they haven't gotten healing. And um, then what happens is there used to be more men who were the therapists, we'll say, who did, you know, and for a female to go to a man who you would associate as the abuser was real hard. And uh, so healing needs to be on everybody's head. I need to get healed. And my question would be, what needs healing? Are your thoughts, your feelings, are those the same thing? Uh, Memories, is that a thought? How do we heal a memory? How do we get new thoughts? What is forgiveness for myself? Maybe my father that did it. What does that do to the memories? What does that do for my healing? And a lot of times, it's really not defined clearly, um, you know, what healing is for people. And so they don't know the steps that they need to take To get there, like if you were told you came to a therapist and you said, I was sexually abused as a child, and you say, okay, here are the steps. Step number one, we got to do some memory work and remember. Step number two is we got to forgive the abuser. Step number three is we got to help our body to know what's normal. Number four is this. And there's really no... Therapists don't think like that, okay? They kind of just go with the flow, whatever you want to talk about, you know, or not talk about, you know, they just kind of just easygoing people, sort of. And, uh, you know, they only got you only get 50 minutes. And, you know, they just, a lot of people uh, do not have any certifications as a, or really don't really care about sexual assault victims. Uh, they want to help people, but, you know, their expertise is something else. 
a lot of them have never sat in on rape crisis calls, um, never been in the hospital with somebody that's been raped, child that's been abused. They've never been a guardian at litem with, uh, and been around the grandparents, the children, been in the law, the, the courtroom with family court. They know nothing about what goes on with children in family court. They, um, they're not a victim's advocate in any way. They're not a sexual response advocate. They don't volunteer with any of that, but yet they put themselves out, you know, that way. Now, people that work with children, there might be some certifications, you know, to help them go through it. But when you're an adult, you know, you would want to ask some questions about the therapist, what certifications they've gotten in sexual abuse training and um, that kind of thing, and have they volunteered? And uh, I used to go, and I was a guardian ad litem for two years. I was the eyes and ears for a judge. I sat in the family courtroom. I, the stuff I had to study is not pretty. It's what you guys went through. I was a state victim's advocate for people of crime, working with attorney generals. Then you have other areas of sexual assault in Florida, to be an advocate, you had to have a hotline crisis line work. You had to pass, a, have your fingerprints checked out, and you had to be able to uh, pass some questions, get certified, just to get on a team that worked with the military and everybody else. Uh, there's a lot of other volunteer things that, um, you know, that to help. Adults with sexual assault, I volunteered with the LGBTQI organizations, uh, all kinds of things. And then there's the domestic violence part of that, you know. And um, so a lot of your therapists do not do any of that kind of work. I actually set, um, went through the classes the state puts on to adopt children. I wasn't planning on adopting any, but I wanted to see and learn about the children who are going up for adoption and you hear and you learn about their abuses rough stuff and um, but I knew I had to learn okay and then you know you volunteer and so uh, mental health it deals with your thinking your thinking processes deals with your ideas your feelings your memories. And it's all stored in your biological brain in neurochemical electrical stuff. Now, where is a memory stored when you're just sitting around doing nothing? It's in one of them uh, neurons, probably in a form of light. And when something triggers it, which is a thought or the five senses, it gets released through the axions and stuff, and it flows through something, flashes, if you've ever seen that kind of thing, and there's the memory. And then it disappears, and it goes into, um, just kind of comes, and like turning the light switch on. And a lot of that is not studied in mental health counseling. And um, so a lot of the therapists really, you know, they're not there with that. So any other questions from Philip or Annie? Um, how long have you been in mental health coach for? 
Okay. I started um, doing... Go ahead. Go ahead. That's all that was my question. Uh, okay. I started helping people probably back in high school. That's back in the 60s. Volunteered in drug treatment programs, which was different. I got my master's. I graduated from Troy State University at Maxwell Air Force Base with all Air Force officers from all over the world with my master's. In 1976, worked in a state juvenile detention center with hardcore juvenile prisoners. That was eye-opener. Went to the state mental institution, which with mentally ill people, volunteered in that. Came to Florida, did, did was a substitute teacher, got on with the local community mental health center and drug rehab, did inpatient testing, worked with juveniles, adults, went into the jails. And um, then about down here in Florida, about 1980, let me think here, maybe 82, 81, a lot of male master's level counselors wanted to be able to diagnose and treat, get paid by third-party insurance. Well, they had to be licensed. So a group of people started working with the legislators to pass a Florida law. They put it in the, mental, the medical quality assurance department. So I had, let's see, I came back to Florida in about 1985. No, that's right. Yeah, 85. And I got, and I'd already had my two years. I'd already been working in a mental health center, so I got the psychologist. Uh, he supervised me, you know, was just how it was. So I got that. Then I had to take the state test. It took me two or three times because I'd missed it by one or two questions. Cost a lot of money. But that what was happening back in about 1985 is that the mental health center here, uh, they wouldn't even hire you unless you were licensed. Uh, they would get you out of college with a master's but you had to be supervised because they had to have credentials. And a lot of the uh, credentialing um, groups for the mental health center was from the medical division in the state because we were dealing with medical people and medical issues. And so they started saying, well, if you want to see clients, you have to have your license. So the master's level people uh, quickly were uh, getting all that done, and then I got hired in a rehabilitation center. I think I got my license in maybe 85, worked there for a year or more with spinal cord injuries, head injuries, inpatient, cancer, everything, working with a team, a physiatrist, working with um, trauma victims. And at the same time, volunteering with hospice and volunteering with child advocacy. So I was doing multiple things. So then I did that for about two, ten years. And then uh, I was directed by God to put my license down and learn how to help people his way. So I did it for about ten years. 
And um, during that time, uh, when I first got it, I was actually uh, a part of the National American Mental Health Counselors Association, which was under the American Counseling Association. I was on, on three different committees. One was National Public Policy and Legislation. I traveled to Washington, D.C. I lobbied the senators and congressmen uh, about licensing. I sat on the, I was the chair of the nominations committee for officers. Then I sat with a college professor from Troy on the National Public Policy and National Standards Committee where I helped write national standards for college universities while I was working a full-time job and raising a son and married. And then I was the local district one here in Florida's mental health counselor which I would meet monthly with all the mental health counselors, fill them in on what was going on at the state level, the national level, and pass on information to them, held the meetings. And um, so I did all of that while working a job and volunteering and learned a lot, met a lot of wonderful people, uh, you had, you know, was a big advocate for mental health counseling, had to understand education and everything. Went to a lot of meetings and board of directors meetings and traveled the United States for this mental health counseling. So I had a lot of experience, not only in the therapy classes. I did group therapy. I did support groups. I worked with adolescents. I worked with children. I worked with adults. You know, I did IQ testing. Um, that kind of thing, work with drug, work with um, people in residential. And then um, I, I, I didn't fit. I've always wanted to pray with people and talk to them about God, and that didn't quite fit very well. So I put it down and then went after um, being a pastor and uh, Bible college, did it at home because I was working a full-time job, and had to learn how to write sermons. I didn't do very good at that. And had to sit under one of our pastors at the church and um, that kind of thing. Does that answer your question? Most definitely. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of people work jobs, okay? They do. But I was always, if I was not working a full-time job, I was volunteering. And there were so many wonderful things in our community, and uh, I wanted, and, it, and I was, just a minute, I wanted free training, so a lot of people, you know, you need to get comfortable with people dying. And then when I became a, was working to become a pastor, uh, I actually paid money to go to our local Christian hospital here and take chaplaincy training to learn how to be a chaplain in a hospital. Spent the night in there once a week. Uh, was in the emergency room right next to the nurses and, and the, everybody. And had to help people die and had to help families let their family members die. And right there when doctors are trying to talk to them. And uh, I had a lot of experiences most people didn't. And I also worked in the jails gave the GED in the jail. It was around prisoners and hardcore stuff most of my life. And uh, just, you know, 
then I got came back to the jails as a Bible as a teacher of the Bible, and uh, so it's um, I, I've had so much, but you know it was all a lot of it was all free training and volunteering, and some of it you had to um, volunteer for like two years. And like Sundays, and when I did hospice, I'd go spend Sunday night with a lady. She's in bed and dying, and so her aunt could go to church, and that's what I did. And do then you, like you know, volunteering. Wait, can I ask you a question, please? Do what? May I ask you a question? Yeah. I, I can't. Go ahead. You're you're outside or something. Do you like volunteering or working for money more? Do I like volunteering? Or working for money more? Which one do you like more, working or volunteering? I don't work for money anymore. I never liked making money helping people. never did. I probably, because I just, there was something in me that said I'm not doing it for money. Um, I, 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 for some reason, you know, I, being brought up in the military, you didn't lay your life down on the line and go over, say, like World War Two for money. You didn't go save people. You didn't go set nations free for money. It was a, we would call it a higher calling. It was something in you that said you're to help people and you're not to make money off of that. Um, but being a female and wanting to help people back in the 60s, there wasn't a lot. You were a school teacher. Well, my dad had two masters. He was an officer in the Air Force. And he taught for Troy State uh, in the evening. He was an adjunct professor. So we were already sort of in psychology. We were um, in counseling. and uh, But I didn't want to do the psychology because he had to have lab rats. And, do, and I didn't like that. So I kind of stayed in the, the counseling mental health part. And, um, but I never did it for money. Okay. Being a female, you know, I got married to a naval master chief. And, um, my, I grew up where the, the female did not work. It, the husband took care of everything. Uh, we were equal, you know, we had our name on it, but the husband carried the financial burden. And I, so, but I always worked. But I didn't do it for money. Now, a lot of men, okay, master's level men do it for money. But it was hard because when you get that license, you now have a professional identity. You have a profession that you are a part of, a community. You have a title. Uh, you have responsibilities. Uh, you fit in a little with a little group of people. And uh, then when I gave all that up, I didn't have any of that. And I tried to fit in the church world with the men, typically were men pastors. I didn't do very well. It wasn't my part. It was their part. They didn't really like females coming into their world. And uh, I was working, happened to get thrown in with witches, Satanists, hardcore occult stuff deliverance work and most of these pastors had never seen the things I saw and the things I saw that people did 
you would think they need to go to the state mental institution, but it was spiritual going on. So I never did any, I never had to call, you know, to make a million dollars and overcharge. I, I was just content learning. There's a lot of wonderful ed, volunteer just to learn how to help people in many different areas. And I was felt obligated if I was not working a job, I was to volunteer in the community to help make the community better. But it Believe it or not, there's a lot of women who want to have a professional identity and they are not married and they uh, want to help people. And the only way they can do that is get their master's, get licensed, and go to work. And I was a little different because I was willing to lay it all down and just be a wife and then be a mother. But I could, my husband was great about letting me volunteer, and so that was great. And You didn't live the rich life, you know, with one person working. And so I wasn't in it for the money, still not. I, I'm on YouTube all the time. I'm recording. I'm, I was ministering to a guy who's got some major issues sexually. Over on our comment section, I do it on LinkedIn and Twitter. And it's I don't charge for anything. I never have. Um, so, but there's other people that that is their, especially for some females, that is the only way money they have coming in. And for the man, it is different. He needs to work and support his family. And um, so I was just uh, I don't think I was a just a normal person. And, um, you know, when I laid my license down, I lost my professional identity. I lost the community of peers that I was a part of. I didn't have that anymore. You can't really go to all the things and all the training and the things that you did with professionals. And I didn't fit in with the men in the the church world because that's a closed area. So... I kind of was all by myself in helping people. And uh, so it was a little harder and, um, you know, didn't talk to a lot of people during the time. Because how do you talk to people about a lot of hardcore witchcraft, Satanism, occult? And you know a lot of people in the community that are in that. And you know a lot of things that other people don't know, and you just don't talk to people, but you have to do ministry with them. All of them had multiple personalities. All have been sexually abused as children. All had hardcore spiritual issues. Um, I dealt with mafia people. I dealt with leaders from around the world. And hardcore stuff that, you know, that would normal child sexual abuse couldn't even con- couldn't even conceive of, and yet I had to be able to minister to them. Did it by phone? Did it in person? Did it on emails? And um, so I had to do a lot of studying, reading a lot of nasty books about events, true stories, watch a lot of movies, and I didn't charge anybody anything. Still don't. Does that answer your question, Philip? Yeah. 
but I have to go in like five minutes because I'm going to an NA meeting. Okay. Annie, thank you there? for coming on, Philip. Thank I'm you here. for having me. I'm here, How Pastor Deborah. How are we doing on our we, time? We have 37 minutes left. Okay. Well, I'll give out the phone number. If, okay. if anyone wants to call and talk to Pastor Deborah, our phone number is 646 595 2118. Go ahead and give us a call. I'm, I'm the guy answering the phone tonight, so I'll welcome you on. And you can ask your question or make your comment or just tell us a little bit about your story. Again, the phone number is 646 595 2118. Thank you. Pastor? Uh huh. I think a lot of people, uh, Philip asked some really good questions, which I hope uh, if somebody has been sexually abused and they're adult now, that when they go see a counselor, therapist or whatever, they ask them these questions like, what kind of training have you had? And, um, you know, what are you certified in? And um, uh, that kind of thing, because it does make a difference. And people don't realize it, but mass, uh, counselors are raised up in what you call schools. Uh, some of them follow Freud, some of them follow Carl Rogers, some of them B.S. Skinner, some of them follow others. And they all follow a theory about how to help people get healed and what's important. And I can remember when I took guided imagery. We were to help you to kind of look back and help you get relaxed so you could talk. But And then they were going to offer hip, hypnosis, and I go, no, I'm, I'm not going there. I knew not to go there, and uh, but other people got trained in hypnosis and uh, trying to reach deep into the uh, subconscious, you know. We studied Freud. We studied all the different uh, counseling uh, theories, which there's a lot of them, on how to help people. And uh, some people follow certain, uh, you know, of the books and things like that. And some people went off more in, we'll say, addiction, substance abuse, and they go there. And then other people just study adults. And um, But as we learned, one in four people got mental health issues. And um, and uh, so it, it takes deep studying about, okay, why would somebody, you know, is depression a biological thing? Yes. Can your chemistry get messed up? Yes. Can you get out of balance in all your chemicals in your body? Yes. Can your thoughts be out of control? Yes. Okay. And how do you get your thoughts back in control? Can your feelings get out of control? Yes. And, uh, you know, can memories evade, come and invade your just normal diet yes and like i said most counselors are not trained to deal with disassociation multiple personalities most of them aren't trained to deal with child abuse victims they maybe deal with depression um, or something you know they have specialties and um that's kind of where they stay 
a lot of times, you know, if you're a, say a female and you're having some marital issues and you get with a therapist, maybe she's been divorced two times or three times and has no kids and how is she going to help you understand what you're going through? Her life's a mess. And so, you know, um, you run into that and you run into men that take advantage. We were under ethics. You had to have ethic classes because it was saying that the therapist was in a position of power and authority and could take advantage of the patient, what they were called, and men had to leave the door open and they really shouldn't close the door when they got a female in there and the female shouldn't close the door when you got a male in there and you can't touch and there's ethical things going on and some of the memories and stuff, you know, and I've had my records subpoenaed by court and I've had to go give depositions, you know, about things. I was working with a a parenting and a child and, you know, just a lot of that's not even taught at your master's level. And there's no, when you get out, unless you're a member of your professional organization, you don't really get a lot. Well, what happens if you get called, your records get called into court? And you have to go give depositions. And, you know, so I had so many experiences and a lot of volunteering. I was just different than most of your therapists. And um, and Philip even asked, you know, did I just volunteer or did I charge money? I didn't. When you're in the business of a professional, you charge insurance. I think it was up to maybe 50 or $60 for 50 minutes, kind of standard. But the poor mental health counselors were always trying to get on every care uh, provider list, you know, getting on Medicare, getting on TRICARE, getting on this, getting on that. Uh, then they would have where if you were in working, you know, they would pay for your work, had would pay for three counseling visits, you know, and you wanted to be on that list. So there was a lot of chasing the money, a lot of trying to get on insurance rolls and things like that. And um, because most people, like to see a psychiatrist, you might pay $180. And a lot of them, they're not going to take a credit card or insurance. They want the $180 cash. And a lot of master's people started doing the same thing. We don't take credit cards or cash. They're not even going to file for insurance because insurance is only going to pay 80% of it. And then the client gets a copay of 20%. gets really expensive because somebody is living off of you having issues, having your problems. They make they have a life off of you, you know. So I, uh, it's it's not I I didn't like it. So. And um, so I enjoy much more now being a minister, like I've ministered, on the comment section on my YouTube page. Some guy's got some major sexual issues and he wants to know what to do and we comment back and forth. And um, I've done it on LinkedIn. I've done deliverance prayers on LinkedIn. I've, you know, you can do it anywhere. And I don't ask anybody for any money. So, Any question, Annie, you want to ask me? Um, I was just going to say you remind me of a nun. My auntie was a nun and she was an RN. 
she didn't get any money. She did the work, and I don't know if there was payment. I don't know how it worked, but she didn't get paid for her work, and that was Mm -hmm. her giving to God. Yeah, and um, it is different. It's yeah. It's if you're a female, okay. I was brought up, you know, basically the female didn't work, but she could be very uh, live a very. You know, she didn't need to provide the financial part. Uh, my In the military, it worked this way. When you are an officer, he's getting paid. The wife, that was my mom, you volunteered on the base at the Child Development Center in the hospital. I also did that. Okay? But, you, but the husband, you know, would get orders, and every two years you move, so... The the wife, as an officer, you weren't expected to work a job. You were to be educated, have a college degree, go to the, the officer's club. You had to know how to dance. You had to know how to play bridge and cards and go to cocktail parties and uh, meet with the, the big wigs. And so I had different life experiences. My parents never divorced. And my dad had, like I said, two masters counseling, was a college professor. So I had that level of community volunteering. I lived on military bases. I, I, I am not comfortable in the community like everybody else. I wasn't into sports, didn't play it. But I knew to volunteer, and that was your obligation to society. You you know, uh, and at the same time, you were in the military. You were a, a federal employee, and you would travel to protect the country. And your life was different. Your life's, um, what was placed into you was you may have to go die to set somebody free. Uh, you will lay down your life for others. You did it out of patriotism or out of love. And so I had a different foundation in me. It wasn't for money because my father didn't get paid very much back then. And everything you did was my father taught college. uh, You volunteer. You help society. You help nations. You help people. Not for money, you know, not for prestige. So I had a little different, you know, it wasn't a job. And then, you know, um, I tried to do the counseling in a church. That didn't work out. And it was a Friday night back in 1990, I think. No, 95. And then God asked me, said, okay, that didn't work out. I closed that door. Now what you going to do? Are you coming after me? Are you gonna? Are you mad and angry going to walk out that door? I said, sir, I'm coming after you. And once I made that decision, I had no job, no money, no identity, no professional people to be around, no community, as you would call it, you know. I was all alone. But I went after God at this church, the Brownsville Revival, back in 1995. And God opened the door to help people his way, which was spiritually... But yet he he's not wasting, you know, the mental health part. 
And um, so I'm able to talk about that. And then he threw me right in the deep end of the swimming pool with some of the most spiritually bad stuff I've ever heard. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't even believe it that it existed. And uh, I had to swim with him, and I did. And I read books. I'd read six or eight books at one time. Watch a lot of videos. Read the Bible. Watch over and over the movies and stuff. And then I had personal contact. Brought him in my home. Saw him in church. Saw him at work. And God was beginning to show me the multiple personalities and the disassociation. And I didn't talk to anybody. Who could you talk to? The the pastors, they didn't even believe in this stuff. Mental health didn't believe in it. And uh, so I kind of was alone, which was okay. Now the thing is people do need to get healed, and it is there. And uh, there's many different levels of healing, probably many different areas that need to be healed. And there's many different steps that people need to take. And Annie, I think you said one of them was your peer-to-peer and telling your story. Yes, to me that was very helpful. And the thing is a lot of people don't even want to get there, and that's okay. Because, you know, some people's healing is, if it's, we're going to say, from the spiritual side, God is directing it. Some people never go to counselors, but they get healed. Some people never tell their story, but God heals them. Some people, you know, take care of business behind the closed doors with them and God. Some people go to counseling. They don't talk too much, but they get healed. And uh, then other people do like you did, peer-to-peer. They, uh, And so if you let God sort of direct you, he knows how to get a person healed. And what I like about with God is he's with you all the time. He can heal you in your dreams. And he can heal you and direct you and guide you, and, and you don't even know it. And next thing you know... Some memory you used to have isn't there anymore. And um, then other people, he wants them to go to therapy. Why? I don't know. Other people need to be in the hospital or be on medication for a while. So he works with each one of us differently, what I learned. And uh, he doesn't discount the mental health community at all. You know, they're very important or peer-to-peer support groups, or AA, or anything, and all the life coaches, you know. Everybody's trying to help everybody, and he's for that. And so mine was just a little, it was was a strange walk. It was um, unique, but I'm still here, you know, and still helping people. Do you need to do any advertising, Annie? I'm sorry? you need to do any advertising of NASCA? Oh, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> we still have, let me see, we have 22 more minutes. So let me do station identification. This is Stop Child Abuse Now radio show number 3187, brought to you by the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. 
NASCA. And you can learn more about NASCA at their website, nasca.org. And please call us with your questions and comments or just to talk. And our phone number is 646-595-2118. I'll repeat that. 646-595-2118. Give us a call, and I'll be the one who answers the phone. Okay, back to you, Pastor Deborah. Okay. Uh, for a person to be healed, there's many areas, okay, that need to be somebody's emotions. Well, our, our emotions, our thoughts, what are they? Our memories, what are they? Some people talk about how the body holds the memories. Is that true? Okay. A lot of your people who need healing are very uneducated about therapy, uneducated about the many different areas that need to be healed. And a lot of therapists don't, you know, they don't have time, you know. It's like going to your primary care doctor. We got a few minutes, and that's it, and I get paid. And uh, maybe your first time they say, yeah, okay, and you might start off, well, I'm depressed. And you find out other things. And then people are also restricted by their insurance. Some insurance companies don't pay but for maybe three visits to a mental, a licensed counselor. Some don't pay at all. And so you have to pay out of pocket. Some don't like being asked very personal questions. And, you know, most people are working a full-time job and or going to school. They don't have time to do 50 minutes, and you have to drive there. And their insurance may not cover it. And so they just say, hey, I suck it up, and I got to work. I got to go to school. I have a job. And that's just the way it is. So, you know, they kind of put along, and they'll get triggered, and, you know, certain things will trigger them, and, they might relapse and they might end up in the hospital and they don't have their, who they work for doesn't pay for therapy. Some people need to be in it probably for years, okay, and they can't afford it. And, uh, you know, there's they got family to raise up and they got just tons of other issues. So, you know, healing gets put on the wayside. And... um that kind of thing, so they just don't get healed. But that's what I like about God. He can heal you in your dreams while you're sleeping. You can deal with your thoughts, your memories. And if you have some really good uh, ministers around, then uh, they can do work on Zoom. They can do it on the phone. Like today, I was doing it with this young guy. Um, he saw a video, and um, we have been messaging, and name is Chris, and uh, some of it's not, you know, he he has a language that um, might offend a lot of therapists, and uh, but he's struggling with sexual issues, and um, so my job is to listen, and, and then he asks me questions, and I'm messaging him back, and, and you know, doing work, 
And so social media can provide a wonderful outlet. And I think a lot of people have through life coaching, through videos, through uh, advertising, you know, Zoom conferences. And they got all kinds of things going on, LinkedIn, posting, different stuff happening. And there's YouTube channels and there's all kinds of conferences. and, And it's different now because... We'll call them clients is what they're called. Didn't really have that years ago. And, um, you know, you didn't have the, you just had individual therapy. The group therapy was mainly grief support maybe or something like AA for alcohol. Peer support's kind of new to the world. Um, So most, most, um, People, um, it was always one-on-one, you know, with a therapist or a social worker. Some pastors, you know, would do it, but they didn't have a lot of training. And um, so a lot of people just say, I don't have the money, I don't have the insurance, I don't have the time. I'll just go see a psychiatrist and take some medication for depression or something like that. Because I have to work, I've got a family, you know, and just, you know, my insurance won't cover it. So, And most of the time your pastors, they don't charge anything. A lot of them are not educated or trained in it either. So um, I was just a little different. Any questions from you, Annie? Um, no. I uh, can't think of one right. Oh, yeah, I do have one. I wrote it down. I'm so sorry. This is what I wrote down that you said volunteering was a woman's social obligation. And I was raised that way. And um, when I was married, I had a compulsion to volunteer and not work. It was like Mm -hmm. I couldn't work for money. I had to work for free. And after being a single person and working, you know, being the only person paying bills, um, when I had to quit doing that, somebody offered me a part-time job and I said, well, I'll just volunteer to do it for you. You don't have to pay me. Right. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Well, the, uh, it's really not. You're, our generation it was brought up a little different. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the the women's basically, I mean, they they raised the children. They were there after when they came home from school. They cooked the meals, did the shopping, cleaned the house, and that job was respected by the husbands and society. And some of them became school teachers, nuns, nurses, and a lot of them didn't have children. And the man was the financial, we'll call him the breadwinner. Now, in the military, this was, uh, you know, I, I was born right at, during the Korean War. It, it was male-dominated. But you were to, the officers were to be married, and your wife was to be educated. But we lived on base, so and you're going to leave. You're not going to be a part of the community. Um, and you are to volunteer on the base. And because you travel around, you can't really work. Officers' lives were much different than enlisted. 
and um, that kind of thing because the requirements and expectations of officers. So I grew up in that. You are to help society. And the man had a role and the woman had a role. And the man went out and left the job and he's going to be fighting out there with the lions and the wolves to bring home the meat. He's got to go kill the wildebeest, sort of. The wife stays home with grandma and grandpa and does the cooking. And both jobs were respected. Both jobs were needed. The wife was honored. But slowly what started happening um, was uh, divorce started happening and the women, they lost their identity and they lost their respect from the men and from other women for just staying at home and not working. So I grew up working. Okay, I worked. We all did, you know, ice cream stores, all kinds of stuff. But that was not my goal. And... um Women have a tendency to friends and be kind, not for money. Most men will do that in connection with, I'm doing this to build my identity in the community, make connections socially, so I'll make deals and, you know, and get promoted and stuff. Uh, so their, their reason for helping people is different. So I grew up in that, and I knew the obligations was to help people. And okay, so you didn't work, you're college educated. Even during my college years, I volunteered, trained in things, worked, volunteered, helped people. And uh, what happened was, uh, now, you didn't live like on the military even back then, the officers lived on base. You didn't have a lot of stuff. You know, you lived in your means. And um, you just were not into all the stuff that the community was, so you didn't spend money on sports and all that stuff. You, you know, Dad wore a uniform. You kind of just, you didn't buy all the clothes. You didn't do all that stuff. So the life was different. So my background and my thing about helping people was you're not doing this for money. Okay? You're doing it calling. And that was, you know, uh, a little different. So, but a man now, he he has to, he should be the breadwinner supporting his family and um, taking care of things. But he can volunteer, but it gets under why you're volunteering. Some of the best volunteers used to be like uh, you were uh, in the bo- you volunteered with the Boy Scouts. <laughs> that ain't going to help you much, you know. So, uh, but that's how I got all this unique, free experience and knowledge, which most counselors did not get. And um, my husband was very good about, hey, okay, you're going to somebody's house every Sunday night. Okay, and then when I worked in the hospital, spent the night, my husband has to watch the child. And, and I'm traveling all over the United States on these for the American Mental Health Counselors 
husband is doing babysitting work. Okay, so, you know, there was a, uh, we had a wonderful understanding because he uh, was a master chief and he had to do a lot of volunteering and work in the Navy. You know, you had sports, um, you had, what did they have? Did a lot with the the young enlisted people and stuff. So, and of course you have your off you have your master chief banquets and things you have to go to. But he volunteered like with the fishing clubs and things like that. So we were both volunteering and we were out, you know, in the community for free. So that was mine. Um, I didn't do it for money, and um, still don't. So healing, you know, is going to mean many things to many people. And it will take, I tell people, you got to get under a master. you got to get up with a teacher. you got to get with somebody that can say, okay, you're at this stage, like we'll say kindergarten, or you're in the sixth grade. You're at this level, and these are the different areas of your thinking. Your, your body's healed, okay, your physical body's healed, but maybe uh, your chemistry's thrown off, your thoughts, your memories, uh, you're still disassociated. They may not even know they have an inner child or they um, uh, have disassociation. They may not know that. And um, so they have, they may not know that. They they may not know they lose time or that, that they even have the memories of the abuse or anything. So it takes somebody that's uniquely trained that can slowly help them through it and the different areas, you know, in spirituality, you've got a spirit and it has issues in your soul, which is your thoughts and your emotions and your feelings, your images, your desires, your short-term, long-term memory, your biological brain, which is connected to your body, okay, and Everything needs help. So, Annie, it is 8.22. I don't know if you want to finish us up or ask a couple more questions. Are you there, Miss Annie? Uh Oh, I was talking away. I'm sorry. We have seven minutes left, and I have a question for you, Pastor. Okay. Okay. Um, The educational standards for the colleges that teach um, counseling. Uh huh. Who's in charge of that? Because I want to write a letter and say you need to be teaching about child abuse. Okay. Typically, you will go into in any university. Uh, there's two levels. One, the school of social work. In there, that's where your social workers go. Then you have the psychology department. And you also might have the counseling department. And what happens is a lot of this, the social workers have been around for 100 years or more, and they have different tracks, and their people might decide, I'm going to work with children who are abused. They take the children's track. And there's a clinical track where they end up working with psychiatrists. So that's more medical. Then there's ones who work in hospitals. So they have different tracks. Then in just the counseling, it would be the master's level, 
psychology, uh, counseling, something like that. And typically, the director of those programs decides based on the state they're in uh, what courses they have to have in order to graduate from the university, which is also connected to the national boards of um, licensed professional counselors, American Mental Health Counselors Association, that the Medicare and um, the other insurance companies, you know, so it, there's a lot involved, okay? But then the person can decide they want to work with children, okay? And in their coursework, they take more classes with child development or how to do play therapy. But an adult, they get basic, you know, Freud stuff with depression and all the drugs and things like that. And, uh, they, you know, you have group therapy and uh, that kind of thing. So uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> and uh, I, I just, you know, it's 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 good to have, but you know, a lot of those people that, believe it or not, Annie, a lot of counselors have been abused themselves. Oh, I'm and sure, yet, and that probably that probably draws them to the career, maybe. Yes, because they're trying to heal themselves, but they haven't been through therapy. One of the things, you know, you used to hear about psychiatrists is you're going to go through psychoanalysis yourself before you get hmm. out there trying to help people. Okay? Do they make them do that at the school? Yeah, I don't know. They used to. Oh. Okay. Because, oh, yeah, because they knew you got your own issues. And a lot of people go in to help teach, help people but they're trying to help themselves, okay? But they don't want to tell anybody. So they go just to take the classes to try to help somebody else so they hope they can help. Oh, you got a lot of people that have child abuse issues. You got One out of four, got, right? Well, those, that's mental health, but you can have people that uh, had child abuse and then they form a multiple personality, and one goes to college and becomes a that, and then at nighttime there's somebody else. Yeah. It, yeah. So, all right, you've got three minutes. Three oh, minutes sorry. left. Okay, well, let me wrap up by thanking Pastor Deborah for coming <laughs> tonight. She comes, she comes once a month on a Thursday night. What, which Thursday do you come? The fourth Thursday of every month, and this is the, the, the fourth oh, Thursday. Oh, right, the fourth Thursday. You can hear Pastor Deborah no, on no, the radio no. station. No, nope. the fourth Tuesday. I'm sorry. The of fourth course it's Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry, too. Okay, the fourth Tuesday of the month, Pastor Deborah will be here. And um, every Tuesday and Thursday, we have a survivor professional, which means someone who has survived child abuse who is in a professional field to help survivors. And, um, and 
I'm sorry, somebody just interrupted okay. me. This has been this has been scam radio. Stop child abuse now. That's what the initials are. Brought to you by NASCA.org. That's the National Association of Survivors. Sorry, adult survivors of child abuse. And they have a great website, nasca.org. And I will sign off. Thank you for listening, and I'll be back another night. Bye. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.